0: Welcome to Kelly Drye's Full Spectrum Podcast, bringing together thought leaders in the technology, media, and telecommunications industries to discuss legal issues that are expected to impact today's organizations and tomorrow's marketplace. Kelly Drye Full Spectrum is produced twice monthly, and show notes are available at www.kellydryefullspectrum.com. For more in-depth commentary, head to our blog, comlawmonitor.com. All links are in the show notes. This podcast is produced by the Kelly Dry Communications Practice Group. Hi, I'm Jennifer Holtz, an associate in our D.C. office and joined by Hank Kelly, a partner in our Chicago office. We're both members of our communications practice group. And with the recent D.C. Circuit's opinion on the open internet order and extensive application of Chevron deference to the FCC, we wanted to take a few minutes to talk about Chevron and understand exactly what it is, how it's applied, and where it came from. We'll also spend a few minutes discussing Justice Scalia's thinking about agency deference and how that thinking has evolved. Lastly, we'll look at some of the public policy considerations around Chevron. Hi, Hank. How are you this morning? I'm
1: good, Jen. Good morning.
0: Why don't you start us off and talk to us about Chevron deference?
1: Be happy to. So Chevron deference is a legal doctrine that was crystallized by the U.S. Supreme Court in the 1984 case of Chevron versus National Resources Defense Council. The doctrine is applied when a federal agency interprets a statute that was adopted by Congress, but where the statute itself is ambiguous. The Chevron deference means that when an agency construes its jurisdiction or it construes its understanding of how to apply that vague statute, courts on appeal, when they're reviewing the decision of the agency, they'll give deference to that agency's interpretation or that agency's construction of what the statutory intent meant. And then if that statutory construction is reasonable, then the courts will affirm the decision of the agency.
0: Well, thanks, Hank. Can you discuss how courts will apply Chevron? What is the analysis?
1: There's two steps. When Congress adopts a law that's ambiguous, Chevron permits the agency to fill the gaps rather than relying upon a court to fill those gaps. So in Chevron step one, courts using the traditional tools of statutory construction, ask if Congress had a specific intention with respect to the issue that's being litigated. If the intent of Congress is clear, then that's the end of the matter. The courts and the agency must give effect to the unambiguous expressed intent of Congress. So if the agency goes awry of the congressional intent, the courts on reviewing the agency decision will reverse that agency interpretation. If the congressional intent or the statutory language is ambiguous, then a court must move to Chevron step two and determine whether the agency's interpretation was a permissible construction of the statute. If the agency's interpretation of the statute's reasonable, then the courts will affirm that decision. Now, this is not to say that agencies can proceed adopting regulations that are outside the scope of their authority. A precondition to applying Chevron deference is a congressional delegation of authority to that agency. Agencies can't act outside their authority in the first place. So when there's no persuasive evidence that Congress delegated authority to an agency to take a particular action with the force of law, then courts don't even ask the question of whether congressional intent on a particular issue was ambiguous or not. So in a sense, there's three steps, not just two. A precondition to applying Chevron deference is that the agency has to have congressional authority to act with the force of law. Now, when there is that congressional delegation of authority, the court does not substitute its judgment of what the law should be. So step two of Chevron is primarily based on the theory that in drafting an ambiguous statutory provision, congress has either explicitly or implicitly delegated authority to the executive branch to fill that gap and statutory ambiguity can be attributed to agency implementation either where one congress intended a particular result but was not clear what that result should be or two congress had no particular intention on the subject but there are other laws associated with the agency that would indicate congressional intent to give the agency the authority to resolve that question. In these circumstances, if the agency's construction of the statute was reasonable, courts will affirm and uphold the decision of the agency.
0: Hank, that was a great explanation. Can you tell us where this all came from? Why do we even have Chevron in the first place?
1: Chevron is based on the simple constitutional principle recognized in Marbury versus Madison that it's really for the courts to say what the law is. They are not supposed to be creating law particularly when it's trying to fill a gap in an ambiguous statute. So when Congress leaves gaps in law, it's really for the executive or congressional branches to fix it, not the courts. Chevron merely provides a vehicle for the continued operation of agencies, particularly in complex areas where expertise is required, while these other two branches of government get their act together to fix the agency actions which Congress may have determined went awry of the congressional intent.
0: So Chevron deference has been coming under attack for some time. One example is some pending legislation in Congress, the Separation of Powers of Restoration Act, which would amend the Administrative Procedures Act and require de novo review of an agency action. Basically, agencies would have no deference. Justice Scalia also had some opposing views here. Hank, why don't you walk us through his initial thinking and how it's evolved over time?
1: So Justice Scalia noted in a famous lecture he gave back in 1989 at Duke University that prior to the Chevron case, there were competing views of what degree of consideration should be given to the federal agencies. And it was often an ad hoc approach in judicial review of agency decisions. Courts were either giving great deference to the decisions of an administrative agency, applying a statute to the facts, and reversing those decisions only if they were without a rational basis, Or alternatively, courts were freely substituting their judicial judgment for administrative judgment when the questions involved the meaning of a statutory term. So prior to Chevron, courts would decide on a case-by-case basis whether Congress intended a particular result or alternatively, whether Congress intended to leave resolution of those results to the agency. Chevron came in and replaced this ad hoc statute-by-statute approach with a presumption that in the face of an ambiguity, agencies are awarded discretion. Chevron also made clear that it was not the court's job to fill gaps left by Congress when there is an agency which had been given congressional authority to construe the words in ambiguous laws. So adopting this approach gives respect to the constitutional principle that an agency may only exercise the authority which Congress grants to it. It also recognizes that it is often the case that statutes drafted by Congress do not account for, one, changes in law, two, complex area of law in industry, and public input that can be crucially important in rulemaking proceedings. And so Justice Scalia, when he was writing his decisions, actually was in favor of Chevron because he felt that it really added predictability to a court's review of agency decisions.
0: Thinking back to the open internet order, We saw the D.C. Circuit apply Chevron quite extensively. Yet, Congress is looking at updating this antiquated statute. Hank, why don't you share some of your thoughts on the public policy benefits of keeping Chevron?
1: In my mind, Chevron provides predictability and approach. And the existence of the Chevron doctrine ensures that Congress is aware of this default rule and then can draft legislation as appropriate given the circumstances. Now, if Congress thinks that the deferential approach dictated by Congress is the wrong one, that's fine. It certainly has the power then to constrain agency action when it adopts legislation in the first place. Chevron also fulfills other additional public policy objectives. Agencies often have, particularly like the FCC, EPA, they have deep expertise in the areas that they're regulating. The Chevron deference principle allows those agencies to apply that discretion that Congress has given them within the confines of the authority that they have to adopt rules that may mirror the times as they change. So Congress can't anticipate every possibility when it adopts legislation. Chevron deference then gives Congress the authority to adopt legislation and then give authority to the agencies to apply their discretion. Importantly, this discretion only gets applied when there is an ambiguity. If congressional intent is clear from the statute, that congressional intent has to be enforced by the agency and will be affirmed by the courts on review. Agencies would be frozen in their ability to take action if they're not given some discretion to apply their expertise when in the face of an ambiguous statute. Now, most importantly though, from my perspective, Chevron deference really respects the roles of courts, that they don't make the law by filling gaps where Congress has left gaps in the authorizing statutes.
0: Well, Hank, thanks for the great discussion. We've tried to pack Chevron deference into a very brief discussion, and we'll continue to watch Congress, the courts, and the agencies, and how they grapple with evolving technologies and outdated statutes. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks, Jen. Great talking with you. The views and ideas expressed on this program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do
0: not necessarily reflect the views or ideas held by Kelly Dry and Warren LLP, its staff, or management.